because they may be complaining about weight gain or they can't sleep or their hair is falling out. And then lo and behold, as we go through their whole story, it's I'm stressed out 10 out of 10. And, you know, like think of now, like, and it's a pandemic and I'm homeschooling my kids and I'm trying to keep the job together and my house is a mess and we have financial issues. And as we go through these ands, I'm like, you know, I'm like, are you are you drinking water? They're like, no, I don't have time. And I'm drinking a little bit more wine lately and I'm not exercising as much because there's so much to do with the kids home now. You know, women are often like, can't you just give me a pill? <laughs> I wish I would. All of those things are relaying back to the brain and the brain's going, hmm, she's not sleeping and she's not eating very healthy or, you know, regularly and she's not hydrated and she's relying more on wine. I don't think this is a good month to get pregnant. So I'm going to change your hormones. And as a result, we feel all the symptoms. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bet Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids. I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Hi, everyone. It's Beth. Welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. Have you ever had questions like, why am I so hungry all the time? Why is my libido so low? Why can't I sleep better? What is happening to me during this thing called perimenopause? Why can I not lose weight while breastfeeding? All of these questions and more will be tackled on today's episode with Dr. Carrie. And if you think today's episode is just for the women out there, boy, are you wrong. Hormones matter to all of us, and they play such a critical role on our health journey. And to be honest, the more I have been able to understand how my different hormones work in my body, the more progress I have made on my health journey. And I really, really believe that is going to be the same for you because too often times we get frustrated and think that our health is only based on the amount of calories we consume and the amount of exercise we do. And what Dr. Carey explains so well is that it is so much bigger than that. It's so much more complex than that. You know, on Instagram this week, I shared a little saying. I said, how cool would it be if doctors prescribed eating better, drinking less alcohol, sun, fasting, movement, and sleep? And you know what? I had a ton of reactions to this, and it got some of my biggest traction on Instagram that I've ever had. What I want people to realize is all of those things are so important because they all affect our hormones positively if we use them in the right way. They are tools in your toolbox, my friend, and they are puzzle pieces to your health. And if you are leaving out too many of those things, well, guess what? you're not going to feel your best. And I'm not here to explain the science behind that. That's what Dr. Carey is here for today. But I'm telling you, the more you learn about your hormones, 
your body, the more empowered you're going to be. The light bulbs are going to go off. And maybe some of those frustrations you've had on trying to lose weight, trying to feel better, and you're going to say, oh, I was trying to lose weight, but I wasn't focusing on my sleep. I was trying to lose weight, but I was stressed out all of the time. I was trying to lose weight, and I was eating right and working out, but I'm over-consuming wine every night. And those things matter to your hormones and to your health. I can't wait for you to hear more from Dr. Carrie. Here she is. Dr. Carrie, I'm thrilled to have you on Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. Welcome. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we connected and we're going to make this happen. You know, anyone who has followed Dr. Carrie, you immediately are just enlightened by her overall wealth of knowledge around hormones and her energy and passion behind it. And I think that is what I'm so excited about today's episode. And I know I'm going to learn a lot. I know you as a listener are going to learn a lot. And I've just really realized on my health journey the importance of hormones. And I think that's what Dr. Carey is all about, is really educating us and showing us the importance of knowing our hormones. And that's what we're here to talk about today. So Dr. Carey, before we dive into all the things I want to just grill you about, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what you do? <laughs> yes, most definitely. And uh, I would 100% agree that uh, it, educating about hormones, empowering about hormones is pretty much what I live for. I am a naturopathic physician. I graduated in 2005 and then I did a two-year residency in women's health and hormones and what we call naturopathic endocrinology. So I'm not an endocrinologist um, in the conventional sense, but from a sort of functional holistic naturopathic, that's the route I went. In practice, I practiced for many years and saw a lot of female health come through my door. And now I am the medical director for a hormone lab called Precision Analytical, and they're the creators of the Dutch test. So really, hormones is where I live. That's the world I swim in. And I joke all the time when I'll have, you know, wonderful women ask me, can you can you talk to me about my six-year-old? I'm like, nope, I sure can't. <laughs> I don't know. Or thing. not my thing. Or, you know, oh, I have plantar fasciitis. My foot hurts. I'm like, nope, girl. Mm-mm. I don't know. <laughs> but if you feel hormonally chaotic, that I understand. That I got you on that. I love it. You know your lane and you own mm -hmm. your lane and you're like, I am going to educate you in every way possible about this thing I am super passionate about. So yes. why, should, why should people care about their hormones? I mean, really at the end of the day, what is the message you're hoping to get across to people? So education around hormones is what I've always been very passionate about and about I want to say two or three years ago, my my mother, who was my biggest fan, said to me, I don't even know what a hormone is, but I do love listening to you. And I thought, well, crap, I failed. My own mother doesn't <laughs> even know what a hormone is. And she raised me and she's, you know, like gone through menopause and, and she has no idea. And so I thought, all right, I need to bring it down even more because it's I I feel that women have been really shortchanged when it came to the education of their bodies, their cycles, the transitions they go through, whether it's puberty, pregnancy, not wanting to get pregnant, perimenopause, menopause. And so that has been my driving force is I want women to understand we have these little 
basically chemical messengers that float around the body all day and they direct traffic and they turn things on and they turn things off and they do it in a rhythmic sense. Uh, it's They're not on all the time. They're not like a garden hose that it's on all the time and then you can just shut them off. They come out in pulses and bursts and it depends on where you are in your cycle and then, you know where you are in the season and where you are in the time of day. And and, and it's, it sounds overwhelming, but I'm like, I want women to know like the reason you often, often the reason you feel that you do is because one or more of these little chemical messengers is either not getting the message or not delivering the message. And if we just, as women understood that, just sometimes just having that aha moment of, oh, I'm not crazy. <laughs> no, you're not crazy. You just have some of these chemical messengers, these hormones that we need to figure out. We need to understand why they're why aren't they getting the message or messaging. And I think just having that empowerment, having that education, then women go, all right, I understand the why. Now what? What do I do? How do I do it? You know, where can I make the changes and and really be empowered? Oh, amen. I feel like it's that emoji where the the head's blowing up, like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, mind blown. And I think that's what I want to achieve today is I want someone who is just like your mom to say, but, you know, what is a hormone? And I loved how you explained that in such a basic term. And now we kind of know, hey, there's there's some things that a lot of us maybe don't feel fine about. And mm-hmm. I love your line, don't accept your fine if you don't feel fine. And women know their bodies m- more than anyone. You You were born in it. You grew up in it. You live in it every day. And so when somebody says to me, something's off or I'm having this symptom or I just don't feel right. You know, you know, because you live it every day, you know, and if, if, if every day something is red and then, you know, on one day it like suddenly shades to pink and you're like, well, that's wrong. Like, why did it go pink? Whatever it is, just as an example, women know like, Ooh, these, these are, these are minor changes. Or if you go from red to green, like that's a major change. Women need to be empowered to listen to their bodies and then, you know, get the help that they need to figure out what's changing. Why are they changing? And what can we do about it? So Dr. Carey, someone comes to you and they say exactly that. Like, I don't feel fine. What are some of the top things you dive into or you want them to look at when it comes to their hormones? The thing about hormones is your hormones are reactive to literally everything happening in your internal world, in your external world. And what I mean by that is that as a woman, you essentially were born to make the babies. Whether you want babies or not, that that that's your choice. But biologically, women are born to make the babies. So your brain is constantly scanning your environment to say, is it safe enough and is it healthy enough that should you want to get pregnant this month, you could. And if and if you're if it's not, if it's not safe enough or healthy enough or all the, you know, all the ducks didn't line up in a row, then things start to shift and in chaos starts to happen or the cycle starts to get wonky. And so the first thing I start to ask about besides what are your symptoms? What's going on? <laughs> are you is it mm-hmm. fatigue? Is it I can't sleep? Is it your hair is falling out? Is it your breaking out? Is it you feel moody? Is it weight gain? Is it all the above? Hot flashes, night sweats, all those things. Then we start to unpack like, well, what's going on in your environment? Like how how are your basic what I call like your basic fundamentals? Are you how what are you eating? How are you eating? Are you hydrated? Tell me about your 
sleep. Tell me about your stress. Tell me about your relationships. Tell me about everything. And I used to joke, I used to work a long time ago. I worked with a, an MD, a medical doctor who didn't like small talk. She was very good at being a medical doctor because she could be in and out of the room in you know four or five minutes. And I was the very opposite. She said, how do you spend so much time with your patients? And I said, because I like, I like gossip to be honest. And I like stories. (laughs) So when women come in and they sit down, I'm like, girl, tell me your story. Like, tell me everything what's going on. And that's where I would often find I would, I could unpack with them what's going on. Cause they may be complaining about weight gain or they can't sleep or their hair is falling out. And then, and then lo and behold, as we go through their whole story, it's, you know, and, and I'm, I'm stressed out 10 out of 10 and, you know, like think of now, like, and it's a pandemic and I'm homeschooling my kids and I'm trying to keep the job together and my house is a mess and we have financial issues and, you know, it's, and, and as we go through these ands, I'm like, you know, I'm like, are you, are you drinking water? They're like, no, I don't have time. And I'm, you know, I'm drinking a little bit more wine lately and I'm not exercising as much because there's so much to do with the kids home now. And, you know, like we just get through all of this. I'm like, okay, so that's where I start. I start with, it sounds simple and it's, you know, women are often like, can't you just give me a pill? (laughs) I wish I would, if it was that simple. But we unpack the basics first because all of those things are relaying back to the brain and the brain's going, hmm, she's not sleeping and she's not eating very healthy or, you know, regularly, and she's not hydrated and she's relying more on wine. I don't think this is a good month to get pregnant. So I'm going to change your hormones. And as a result, we feel all the symptoms so that I start there before I get into like testing is an example. Oh, I love that though. I think that makes, that just makes so much sense to me. And I can only imagine how for so many out there that has been compounded this year, right? Oh. I'm sure in the past year, it's just been like, oh, Huge. You know, like you said, most people, I mean, alcohol sales are up, mm-hmm. their depression, anxiety, all the things, you know, yeah. sleep is probably not as good. Stress is high. I mean, what a hormonal mess. It's, <laughs> it's a complete hormonal mess. And what sometimes, not always, but oftentimes I will I will say these or point these out to women and they will comment, right? They will put in my comments. They will send me messages and go, oh, yeah, actually, I have been up pretty consistently on Netflix watching, you know, this show or that show or, you know, getting caught up or like, huh, I have been relying more on alcohol. I didn't really notice that. I just just thought I was handling my stress or gosh, now that you mention it, I'm home all the time but i'm i'm forgetting to drink water i'm i'm like my, my hours and my boundaries are blended between doing my job helping my kids being in my family maintaining the house you know going to the grocery store and i'm forgetting to take care of myself and sometimes just that simple awareness um just because i'm getting the feedback so much and comments and messages and dms that they're like oh right i've been letting this really affect me and not realizing how much it is is affecting me from a big picture, from a brain down to the ovaries. Totally. Uh, you know, I have one mom, we were joking, and this sounds horrible, but we were joking that sometimes there's been times I swear we're not hydrating so that we don't have to waste time to go pee. Like that is yes. sounds so bad. I'm yes. Like, I, I swear <laughs> it's not even like um, on purpose, but I think somewhere within us, that's why we're not drinking as much water. Like, well, then we have to go to the bathroom all the time and we're busy. We right. have too much too much going on. Isn't that horrible? But it's how it's I had true, to though. admit that. Yeah. 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 It's it's the same with exercise. I have, I have, you know, women friends that are like, you know, when I, when I went to a job or when the kids went to school, 
I had this great schedule and I could fit in exercise three or four days a week. But now that it's all home and it's all blended and there's no boundaries and my office is in my kitchen or my office is in a guest room, that's also the playroom, that it's hard to, you know, where we've had to move where I used to work out in the guest room, it's now my office or it's now the kids' study room. And so all the gym equipment got moved. And and so everything has had to shift. And everyone originally in 2020 was hoping for, you know, when do we go back to normal? When do we go back to normal? And now a year later, it's like, ah, crap. And we've established new habits and new patterns that have sort of edged out the healthier self-care things that we used to do. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And as someone who, you know, I do normally work outside the home, I'm working inside the home, it does kind of blur. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just this kind of this blurry, blurriness. So before we talk about specific hormones and leave this kind of important topic. Do you want to answer quickly your opinions on watching TV, like you said, or a <laughs> Netflix late at night, uh, drinking wine, too much wine, and and kind of how those two things specifically, you know, affect your hormones? And I really, before you dive in, I had to give up watching the news. Like yes. I did. And, and I read the news. Someone could say, well, you're not very informed, but no, I, I know how to read mm-hmm. uh, Wall Street Journal online. I know mm-hmm. how to read my sources, but I had to give up watching the news. And I don't know if you found anything similar, but I find too many people that is affecting them more than they realize. A hundred percent. And the thing is, I think they know it's affecting them, but it's it's a, it's like watching a train wreck. Like they can't stop. Mm. It's perpetuating their fight or flight, their anxiety, their anger, whatever it is. And so they keep they keep watching or and it's clickbait. You know, the, the news is, is very uh, clever at dropping headlines or starting out the newscast to, you know, what they're going to talk about. So you eagerly wait to hear and it's was often doom and gloom in 2020. And so, yes, it, it, and what it does is it affects our cortisol and our um, epinephrine and, and norepinephrine hormones, which are known as adrenaline and noradrenaline. And so we get set off, right? We get triggered, we get angry, we get scared, we get fearful, whatever it is. And so the body doesn't know any different. It doesn't realize it's just news in a box, like it's a talking head in a box, and it's not actually going to come get us or eat us. But we feel threatened. So the body's like, react, react. We feel threatened. Like, so, I don't know what it is, but we feel threatened. I don't see a tiger, and there's no, you know, woolly mammoth, and you know, there's no person with a gun, but I feel threatened. And so everything happens. The cascade occurs to raise our cortisol, set off our adrenaline, and, the, and then we get this domino effect. And so now, what happens in the long term that people don't realize, and I hear this from women, they'll go, I used to be able to handle stress and I don't handle it as well as I used to. I I feel more stressed out. I feel burned out. I get anxious easier. I can't sleep like I used to. What's happening? And it's it's a protective mechanism that the body does to – it basically reacts or triggers faster and faster and faster the more – you are put in these situations and it's it's to get you to move to move right to protect yourself faster mm-hmm. so we have a little part of our brain that's called the amygdala and when it, it's a fear based gland it's to, it's to keep us protected right if you are mm-hmm. walking in a dark street or in a dark forest and you hear a rustle or a movement or you see a shadow you know you're going to be completely on guard to protect your life so but when you're watching the news the amygdala doesn't know any different and so it's heightened it heightens its fear awareness of 
there's fear. There's fear. I feel fear. I sense fear or anger, like this is a problem. And so it immediately rushes to another part of your brain and says, react, do something, run, act, fight, or flight. And and the more that happens, the more trigger happy it gets. Whereas before you used to calm it down or you used to be able to maybe say to yourself, this is just the news, it's not a big deal, or it's, you know, headlines, it's not a big deal. And now mm. you can't control it. Now, now before you can even stop the domino. The domino was long fall, fall. That's terrible English. Fallen. <laughs> and, and, and then when moved downstream and now you're anxious or, or angry or, you know, your heart's racing or what have you. And it can be low grade. I mean, I have people say, you know, I watch the news at all the time and I don't feel my heart racing. I don't feel anxious, but they have this sort of low grade on edge, hypervigilant hum. And, mm-hmm. and that's what, that's what gets them. And so by yeah, shutting off the news, totally. right? Like you, I did the same mm-hmm. thing. I just stopped watching it. Unless it's unless it's like a snowstorm is coming, which you know we we had. I might put the news <laughs> on to see if snowmageddon is happening uh out here in the northwest uh, or to watch the ski report to see what the mountain's going to do. Like that's about the only time I absolutely read like you do. I read and scan headlines so I'm aware, but I just stopped watching the news cuz I was constantly feeling um hypervigilant over something yes. I didn't I didn't that I didn't need to be as hypervigilant as I was every single day. Exactly. I think that's I think you nailed it. What about wine? I hear from <laughs> numerous physicians over and over on this podcast that if people just started having a little bit more of an honest and real reflection on their wine, we would see some dramatic health improvements. And Carrie, this comes from someone who is not casting any judgment, throwing Mm -hmm. any stones. Mm -hmm. Anyone on here who is a listener knows that I like my wine too, Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. But I've kind of had to put my big girl pants on a little bit more about it. So I'd love your your feelings about alcohol and, and I think wine in particular. Yeah. So what's interesting, that's funny you said earlier that uh, alcohol sales are up, you know, with with the whole pandemic. And we have a dog and in our neighborhood on Thursday night is trash night. Trash goes out Thursday. And every other week it's recycle goes out. And so every other week in the beginning and throughout the whole last year, my husband and I would notice the sheer amount of alcohol our neighbors were putting out. (laughs) (laughs) We have our glass is separate in our recycling. So we like, we have a little glass container we all have to put out in our neighborhood. And I said, I, I know what our neighbors are doing. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> obvious how all our neighbors are coping because it went from, you know, we've lived here a couple years now. So I, to, we, and we, again, walk this dog every night. And so we could see what they're putting out. And so again, I'm not judging either. I love a good glass of wine a hundred percent, but I will tell you alcohol. Let's just, let's just go with the estrogen factor. Let's just stay. Let's just look at that. So Whenever you drink alcohol, even the organic, biodynamic, locally sourced, you know, all those great buzzwords, at the end of the right. day, it's, it's still it's still alcohol. You know, people will say, but it's low sugar. I'm like, I don't care. It's still alcohol. And what happens is alcohol in general is she's a prima donna. She's a prima donna. And when she gets detoxified, she gets she pushes her way to the front of the liver to go through first. And everything you that you detoxify, the liver handles the brunt of it. This includes your own hormones. You, you, your, your own hormones don't live forever. You have to break them down at some point and then get rid of them out of the body. So estrogen, 
estrogen goes through a, a three-step process generally for detoxification. But if if estrogen is on her merry way to the liver, like, okay, I'm done. You know, I've been retired. It's time, it's time for me to get detoxified. I get broken down now. But you've been drinking a lot of wine. Wine will push to the front of the line, push estrogen to the back, and now estrogen circulates around again. So estrogen's like, oh, I thought I went into retirement, but I guess not. I'll go back out and do my job. And when estrogen keeps floating around, it it binds to receptors, turns them on, and now you have high estrogen type symptoms, PMS, tender breasts, weight gain, heavy periods, worse endometriosis, fibroid growth, you know, like the, the list goes on and on. And so with all this excessive alcohol consumption, I do have more women go, you know, I've noticed my PMS is pretty bad. I've noticed my periods are heavier. I notice I'm starting to get the muffin top mm-hmm. lately, especially in the last year. Uh, you know, they, they, they I, they joke it's called COVID-19, but you've gained the COVID-19. Um, and in part, for some people, I think alcohol plays a big factor in that because alcohol is rushing to the liver and pushing everything else back to the back of the line. So it just goes back out in circulation. And on top of that, as you process, as you process alcohol, um, especially if you do drink alcohol that's maybe higher in sugar, you know, you're you're drinking drinks that have mixers in them um, or mm-hmm. wines that are higher in sugar, like Rieslings and, you know, things like that, all that sugar is affecting your blood sugar and your insulin. And it's again, affecting your liver. And so your body has to deal with it just like it would have to deal with if you ate a cookie or cupcake or, or something sweet. And that for a lot of women also impacts their hormones and greatly affects their sleep. Cause most, I would say adults probably drink in the evening, uh, unless they're mm-hmm. day drinking, which is an which happens, but they'll have a they'll have a cocktail at, at dinner, or they'll have a glass of wine or two or three at dinner, mm-hmm. and into the evening to relax, to calm down. They're stressed out. They like the taste. Uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. But then they say, I I feel puffy in the morning. I'm kind of tired and groggy in the morning. I didn't sleep as well as I usually do in the morning. My hormones just feel off. And the occasional glass of wine, fine. But when you have a hard look at your life and you really honestly answer the question, how many, how many glasses of wine or how many, how many cocktails are you having in the last seven days? I think it surprises people because they're, they're like, I'd only have one or two. It's just Carrie, it's just one or two. I'm like, mm-hmm. how many of the last seven days? They're like, oh, pretty much every night. I'm like, mm-hmm. So you take one or two times seven, you know, and now we're looking at seven to 14 drinks a week and you feel symptomatic. So if you're feeling symptomatic, Let's do something about it. Right. I think you're you're so right on. One thing that's really been working for me as someone who's trying to be a little bit more of a big girl about it is I've been just trying to say mentally, I'm only going to have it once or twice a week. And mm-hmm. I've been challenging other people to, to do that. And they could do the sober January or they could do the sober October, but I'm really encouraging to kind of put some boundaries around it. And the longer you do that, you feel so much better. And it just, mm-hmm. at first, you your body kind of fights it because you're it's a habit. And mm-hmm. I know you are a big fan of the book Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. And you, your body fights it. But I want to encourage people that if you do it for a month and just try putting some boundaries there, I guarantee in 30 days – you're gonna feel better than yeah. you did 30 days ago. Yeah, you really are. It, it, it's it's a it's a bummer. It's I it's <laughs> I hate it. I, 
I hate admitting it. I, I wish I wish I didn't have to, but it it's so true. I have to be very careful because we all have well, those who drink wine have often have beautiful wine glasses. So I yes. drink water out of wine glasses because it. Uh, I drink more water that way, and it just seems it's super fun. I feel fancy. And so I drink water, often sparkling water, out of wine glasses. And But I have to be careful when I'm on camera because there I am <laughs> with my big, beautiful wine glass drinking, you know, my sparkling water. And, and I'm like, oh, wait, I have to explain this. Like, I promise it's not white wine. It's sparkling water. <laughs> Dr. Carrie, you have just, like, I just had that mind-blowing moment. I'm going to, I know I will be able to drink more water now. I'm drinking out of a wine glass from now it's, on. I don't, right? I'm and you, you probably have fun, beautiful, you know, wine glasses that you, you're like, well, that's, you know, that's too bad. I can only use them once or twice a week. And if you're, if you're, you know, doing that. And I said to myself about a year, a year ago, two years ago, I said, what am I doing? I have beautiful glasses. I'm putting water in these. Man, it works. You feel so fancy. You walk around with a wine glass all day. (laughs) It's just water. (laughs) Best hydration secret ever. This is the best hydration secret ever. So let's move on to some of these hormones. And there's so much talk today, which I love. There's more talk about leptin, ghrelin. There's even more talk about insulin. I'm hearing insulin all the time, testosterone, Mm -hmm. progesterone, estrogen, all these things. And where where would you like to dive in? Because I think we could probably talk for an hour on each one of those. <laughs> Where's a good good kind of hormone one on one on each of on each of those? Or and you're welcome to dive into others too. That yeah. would be helpful for the listeners today. You know, I'll start with leptin uh, only because I feel like it's misunderstood. It doesn't get talked about enough, and you can easily test it in blood work uh, when you're doing like a fasting glucose and a fasting insulin. You can do a fasting leptin. So leptin is a hormone that is made by your fat tissue. Yes, your fat tissue absolutely produces its own hormones. It's In fact, uh, uh, several endocrinology groups now recognize that adipose tissue, fat tissue, um, as an endocrine gland uh, that's able to create its own hormones. So leptin is made. They think it's cued by melatonin, which means your sleeping, your sleep cycles are really important to weight and to hunger and to feeling full, satiety, so feeling full. So leptin is made by your fat tissue. And what it does is it gets released, it crosses up into the brain and says, hey, you've eaten enough, we can stop now. Or you've eaten a little too much, so why don't you stop eating and let's upregulate all the systems that help you burn a little extra energy. And the brain's like, cool, not a problem, we can do this. So your hunger drops down, you're essentially you like, you know, like you burn, he's like, you know, burn any excess that you, that you have. And that's how leptin works. Ghrelin is the opposite. Ghrelin is made in the, uh, the cells in the stomach or the intestines and says, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. Like, right. It's like growling. Ghrelin is your growling. (laughs) It says, I'm, you know, I'm hungry. Feed me. So the problem with leptin though, is if you have too low of leptin, or if you have what's called leptin resistance, you have a lot of leptin, but it's not getting to the brain, then the brain is constantly looking around like, well, I don't know where leptin is, so keep eating. Like, we're going to keep eating until leptin tells me not to. And this happens mm. a lot. So the, 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 what, the leptin resistance can actually happen for a couple reasons. So a, a big reason are things like inflammation or having high triglycerides. 
And a lot of people, unfortunately, right now have high triglycerides. When they go get their cholesterol checked, they'll see this. Um, they have a lot of inflammation, maybe from pain in their body or you know foods they're eating or things they're exposed to. And it can increase the, the way that leptin works. The same as if you are not sleeping very well, you're not making a lot of melatonin because you're, you, you wake up or you go to bed late, you get up early, you're not feeling well rested. And so because you have this mismatch in melatonin, you're going to get a mismatch in leptin. And once again, the brain's like, I don't, I don't know where, I wish I knew where leptin was, but we'll just keep eating. And so when women say to me, I am hungry all the time, one, it could be boredom and you know, this new routine is throwing them off. And so they're, they're looking for something to do to crunch on, to hold, to snack on. But the other is it could be leptin and ghrelin at the core. And it's, it's really affecting, uh, the signaling to the brain to say, Hey, you're, you're, you're full now. Stop. And, and let's move on with our day. So I tell women, ask, ask to have a fasting leptin done, just like you would get a blood sugar done, just like you would get a cholesterol checked. You can check your leptin. Now there's various uh, laboratory ranges when it comes to leptin. And I used to say, I used to say you wanted a fasting leptin to be under 30, but I've read some research, especially if you have a thyroid problem, because, because leptin can really screw up a thyroid. High leptin can screw up a thyroid. So I read some research that says if you have a thyroid problem, you ideally should have a leptin under 15. So for all the women listening who are like, that's me, I have a thyroid problem, try to get your fasting leptin under 15 or aim for it. That's what you want to aim for. And if you're higher than that, especially if you're hedging in on 20 or 30 uh, at the upper end of the range, then it could be affecting how you burn energy and your hunger. Hey friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please, subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. I think that's so enlightening when people think, oh, something's not like, I'm not a bad person. I'm not like, I'm not a flawed person. It's no, there is an explanation for the fact that you're always hungry all the time. And, and I, I just love that. And I think I see this when people start reducing the inflammation, Mm -hmm. uh, on their health journey, they say this all the time. I'm less hungry. Mm -hmm. I'm less hungry, Bet. Why am I less hungry? You would Mm -hmm. think that, why has my hunger changed? And I think it really could be explained. A lot of it could be explained by leptin. Leptin. And, and just, yeah. You know? And yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So on ghrelin, I, I'm curious on ghrelin. So one thing I have read is, you know, I'm I'm a big fan on, on the tool of intermittent fasting. Yes. And I love how there's so many... I love comparing it to a shoe. There's so many different styles. There's so many different sizes and ways you can implement it in your life and Mm -hmm. your your lifestyle. But 
one of the pieces of advice I heard the other day was that our bodies, when we first start fasting, in our typical, you know, if we were used to be a, a eat six times a day person, or we were an eat three big meals a day person, mm-hmm. that our body for a while might send us little signals at those same times to be like, hey, it's it's one o'clock, you normally have lunch now, or hey, hey, bet it's breakfast time, you normally <laughs> eat. Now. Is that ghrelin? Is, yes. is that ghrelin? Okay. Yeah, it's, grab, it's ghrelin and it's habit because um, – so these hormones are – they're dictated by by rhythms. We have – uh, we have a, we have an area of our brain that's that's called our our master circadian rhythm, and it's dictated by something called the clock genes, literally clock, like the clock on your wall, and it is set and reset by lightness and darkness. And our clock genes actually run a little over twenty four hours, even though as humans we run on a twenty four hour clock. The world runs on a twenty four hour clock. Our bodies are a little bit over twenty four hours, so every single day we have to set and reset this these genes. And, and by setting the master circadian rhythm, we actually have little baby clocks in every single gland of our body, the ovaries, the pancreas, the thyroid, everywhere, the liver, and the little baby clocks respond to the master clock. They also respond to other things too, when you eat, when you don't eat, you know, when you're exercising, the temperature outside. But the master clock really helps set this. So if you are a person who is used to eating six times a day, you have three meals with two snacks, um, and you're trying to get into intermittent fasting, you've set all your clocks to eat six times a day. And so now what you're doing is you're skipping, like you're you're basically skipping a clock. Like the alarm is going off on your phone, but you're you're choosing to ignore it because you've historically been a six time a day eater. It's it's just like it's just like my dog. My dog has trained us uh, that when he likes to take walks at certain times of the day. And so we, you know, cause we're, our, our dog runs our life. And so we, my husband and I do, we're like, oh, it's that time for the walk. So if we skip the walk or if we're late for the walk, the, our dog will come, he'll come tell us, you know, he'll come nose us and paw us like, all right, let's go. Like, now's the time. And it's the same in your body. If you skip snack time, cause you're trying to ease yourself into intermittent fasting, your ghrelin's like my dog, your ghrelin's going to nose you and paw you and say, Hey, this is snack time. It's snack time. Like that's this it's it's a habit that you'll have to ease yourself out of. The great thing is the clock is changeable though. It's not set in stone ever. And so that's what's so nice is that you can ease yourself into changes like that. Yeah, I really love your last phrase there because I am living proof. Like I used to be in my office at work and I had all the snacks, all the healthy snacks, all the (laughs) healthy food, all the prep, right? And I was eating constantly. And even though it was healthy, Mm -hmm. I was eating constantly. And when I first started fasting, gosh, it's, it's such a shift for your body and your mind. But it's like a muscle, you know, you, you, it, it builds. And, and now I know if I ever get that kind of ping, it'll pass. You know, I like mm-hmm. to compare it to the surfer riding a wave, you know, and, and just ride the wave, mm-hmm. you'll ride the wave and, and it'll pass. And, and like you said, you can kind of reset your clock. I, I think that's great. What have you seen with 
people and, and those that you talk to how intermittent fasting can help your hormones. Have you seen some positive stories there? Absolutely. And I will say, and I, and I learned this from Cynthia Thurlow, who I know has been on your show. She says, you know, intermittent fasting is a tool. It's not absolute. It's not right, not right for everyone. Um, it's not something you should think is the end all be all. It's definitely a tool. And there's a lot of misinformation, I think, out there where people go, women shouldn't fast. And you know, it screws up your hormones and it affects this and it affects that. I have been intermittent fasting for about the last, I want to say, seven plus years. And I vary with intermittent fasting between 12 and 16 hours where I don't eat. Just And it often depends on my day or what I'm doing, you know, if, if back in the day when I used to travel, if I was traveling. And so what I have found is that it can make, I find it can make a big difference in like, example, lowering inflammation. I find it can make mm -hmm. a difference in hormone signaling. I find it can make a difference uh, in maybe insulin and leptin resistance. There's research to show that intermittent fasting could maybe help those who have leptin not communicating well with the brain. Um, it can help GI issues, right? You're giving yourself, your, your gut this, this long break um, instead of having food in it all the time. And so I do see for a lot of women, if used, if the tool is used appropriately, it can make a big difference. It can absolutely make a diff big difference. I will say it's definitely not for women who have, a, who have current or history of disordered eating, you know, anorexia, things like that. It will only perpetuate it, make it worse. And I, I have a personal history of anorexia, so I'm very aware of it, um, especially when I talk about it with other women. So I don't, I don't use it f uh, for them. And I also tell women, as you get into it, and it becomes, if you do it part of your life every day, if you do it a couple times a week, whatever, you will also find that you will become better adept at reading the signals of your body. For example, the other day, I did not sleep well at all. Terrible, terrible sleep. So when mm -hmm. I woke up, I woke up hungry. And instead of riding the wave, I knew if I just went ahead and ate that I would make the rest of my day better than trying to force a, you know, a square uh, peg into a round hole. And so, but other days I wake up, I sleep great. I'm not stressed out. I'm not hungry, right? So I, I do mm -hmm. 14 hours or maybe if I have a meeting, it ends up inadvertently being 16 hours. And so I tell women in the beginning, you're going to be really simple you're going to try for 12 hours, stop eating at seven o'clock at night. Don't eat till seven o'clock in the morning as an example. And then as you get into it, if you find you like it, if you find it's a good tool for you, if you find you're playing with it, you will find on the bad days or when the hunger signal hits, you will learn to acknowledge or understand, oh, I, I really should eat. I shouldn't ignore this one. Otherwise, I'm going to get cranky, hangry, a headache, whatever, versus other days when you just smell something really yummy and you think, oh, I just want to eat that cinnamon bun. And you're like, you know, <laughs> no, that's just my brain telling me that smells amazing. And I'll, you know, I'll either eat it later or it's that's not fitting in my goals right now. I think that's so critical for people to hear is that it does really, for, for many of us or for the people I talk to, it does really help you get to know your body and similar how it correlates with, you know, back to our discussion on wine. Mm -hmm. Intermittent fasting has kind of helped me realize that wine doesn't make me feel as good as I thought it did. You uh -huh. know, like it makes me hungrier. It makes me less likely to move my body. And I feel like before intermittent fasting, I didn't realize that as mm -hmm. much. Like it, it, or like you said, I, I've become more aware of my sleep and that how that impacts 
my hunger and my next day. So I love that you kind of pointed that out because I think that's such a goal for us, for us all, even if it's not with intermittent fasting, is to kind of find things that help us get to know our body better. A hundred percent. And if you, I tell women, if you're struggling, you know, consider getting a tracker. So many women have Apple watches or they have Fitbits or they have aura mm-hmm. rings. I'm like, use it, listen to it. It's tracking cool information and you just need to correlate. For example, if you have a glass of wine or two, look on your trackable that you're wearing already on your wrist or on your finger and see what your sleep is the next day. What was your your deep sleep? What was your, you know, your REM sleep, like your, your light sleep? Like what, what was it compared to other days? Um, how do you wake up rested? Do you, when you look in the mirror, do you, do you feel like you're puffy or your rings puffy? Like just pay attention to these little details. Uh, when you sleep amazing, when you sleep really well, when you wake up feeling 10 out of 10 and so much energy, like what, what did you do the night before <laughs> you know, the day before, or what did you not do? Like when you pay attention to these things, I find just little bits over time, you know, you start to put two and two together and go, we do it. We do it for our families, right? We do it for our kids. Yeah. I, I do it for my dog. And so it, I, it's, we, we should be doing it for ourselves as well. So loved all this information on leptin and ghrelin and all the other topics. I love listening to the topic around perimenopause and menopause, but I one area that I find is is kind of left out in this this group of moms specifically I find are are left kind of grabbing at things are I hear from a lot of postpartum moms mm. and I realize I'm in that boat so I'm and maybe I'm a little biased, but I hear <laughs> from them over and over again that I'm I'm breastfeeding and I I can't lose weight and yet everybody is telling me that weight should just melt off when I'm breastfeeding mm-hmm. and I'm moving my body I'm eating healthy I I am really trying to prioritize myself why can't I lose weight when I'm breastfeeding what yes. is wrong with me there is nothing wrong with you not a single thing every breastfeeding mom's adventure and journey is completely different. There are absolutely moms, God bless them, that will lose weight when they breastfeed. And there are other moms who will not. Just the way their body is set up, the way that prolactin, the hormone of of breast or of breast milk production um, works on their hormones and the way they lose weight works differently. So my my best friend's friend has three children. And she said, with my first child, I freaked out because I was breastfeeding and all my other friends were losing weight and I wasn't. And when she stopped breastfeeding, then the weight started to come off. And she was like, oh, I'm an after the factor. (laughs) After the fact, (laughs) weight loser. So with the second child, the same thing happened. She breastfed. She she didn't lose the weight like she, you know, like, I don't know, wanted, expected, what have you. She didn't care. She's when the time was uh, done, you know, uh, she lost the weight, had her third baby is weaning breastfeeding right now and, you know, is meeting her, her goals. And so she says, I just know, I don't even worry about it. I don't even worry about it. I mean, I eat healthy and I exercise and I do what I can, but I know my body is for whatever reason, keeping the weight you know, on my, on my, on my thighs, on my booty, on my, 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 uh, belly for whatever reason. And then once I'm done breastfeeding and prolactin goes down and things go back to normal, that's when the weight comes off. So I just wait for that period. And I'm like, yeah. And with the first child though, it can be really awful because you look around at these models and these super, you know, actresses who post postpartum stuff 
four weeks later, six weeks later, and you know, good on them. <laughs> but yeah, let's I, be real. I think it's, <laughs> let's be real. And we're and I guess I feel like there's this fear to say it because they think, oh well, if we don't say that breastfeeding melts the weight away, people stop breastfeeding. It's like no, we're yeah. we're no, but we need to we need to not make someone feel like something's wrong with them. And I'll tell you after with all my kids until I stopped breastfeeding, I didn't, uh, I didn't really start, start, start losing weight. Very similar to your friend. And unfortunately I had to stop breastfeeding a lot earlier with my last, my youngest one. And sure enough, that is when I started seeing that my body was letting go of things. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just a really interesting progression. So anyways, love that, love that advice. Yeah. Okay. That hormone of prolactin, I'll just say so many women, of course, postpartum breastfeeding or maybe not breastfeeding, just being postpartum. So prolactin is the hormone of breast milk production. But if we think about it, like you are to be, your, your body wants you to breastfeed one child, assuming you have one or whoever child you have, twins, triplets, that child and, and nothing like your body is like, look, mama, this is what you're supposed to be doing right now. You're not supposed to be, you know, going back to work full time. You're not supposed to be, you know, running marathons, let's say, you know, you're supposed to be focusing on raising and nurturing this child. And so as a result, it affects all of your hormones. It doesn't want you to get pregnant again right away. It doesn't want you to have a libido again right away. Like your, your focus is, it's a, it's a biologic thing. It's your body is saying, focus on the child in front of you and let's get that one, you know, like nourished and healthy and, you know, and grown a little bit. And then when prolactin goes down because you stop breastfeeding um, or weaned or whatever, then everything comes back and it's like, oh, okay, now bi- still biology still kicks in and says, great, okay, that one must be strong enough, healthy enough, nourished enough. Prolactin goes down, your horm- your normal, regular, everyday hormones get back into cycling and poof, you, you can start all over again. And so that's the, like women are, we've been trained to think that we should breastfeed, we should give birth to a baby, we should breastfeed and we should still run the world. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> you just grew a human you have to nourish said human and you don't need to run the world in that time frame. In fact, the hormones are working against you not to do that. And so that's where I want to validate postpartum women over and over and over again. Like, I know you, you can't feel like you can run the world because you literally can't. Prolactin doesn't want you to. Right. You will eventually. Oh, I love that. Yes, <laughs> it will eventually. But I think that's yeah. so, just so encouraging. So let's talk to the next kind of phases of women out there that I hear from, and that is the the perimenopausal woman and the menopausal woman, and specifically around weight gain, mm. a low mm-hmm. libido, and kind of all the things. What are what are some things that you see in in those ranges and what kind of encouragement do you want to give those moms and kind of education so that they I shouldn't say moms. I didn't mean to say moms. I said women. Um it could be moms. <laughs> yes, it can be moms, but encourage all women that are in those phases of life. Yes, yeah, so perimenopause is the transition phase. I've I've call it reverse puberty um, because we remember how chaotic it was to get into puberty in our teens. You are now reversing out of puberty um, into the next stage, the next transition of your life, which is which is menopause, where you will no longer have a cycle. So because it's a transition, it's literally a transition. Your hormones are, the hormones out of your, the ovaries produce are starting to decline at various degrees and levels because the ovaries are not 
meant to function forever until the end of time. And so as they slow down, your hormones shift and you will start to feel all the symptoms you just said. You may gain weight. You may have hair changes. You may have skin changes. Your cycles may change drastically. You may notice mood changes. You can't sleep. And it's, I, I say this all the time. I mean, in fact, you just heard me say this. It's not fair or fun. And whoever designed perimenopause and menopause, I would like to have a word with because <laughs> it's like, right. And, and, and I, and I know, I, I know I say, in fact, I just said this, I, I feel like, you know, women are tasked with having the babies, whether you have it or not, you, that's your, that's biologically what you're tasked with. And you would think, cause we get into our forties that, you know, who, the, the grand designer would be like, you know what, ladies, thank you so much. Thank you for your service. We're going to now transition you in, into menopause, and it's going to be amazing. I mean, it's going to be like red carpet service, concierge. We're going to give you shiny hair and shiny skin and, you know, svelte bodies and tons of energy and the, the libido of your 20-year-old self. And instead, it's like, here's perimenopause. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> What? What? Yeah, what so, the heck? <laughs> so I want women to understand this because I have a, so many women that are like, what is happening to my body? Make it stop. I'm like, I'm so sorry. It is a natural transition in life. We can make it much smoother. We can make you make it so you feel like you're gliding into menopause instead of slamming into menopause. But there, we can't stop it. It is a natural progression as your ovaries start to shut down. And what advice do you, what advice you say there's things that you can help them and glide into it? What are some of your kind of top pieces of advice for, for Start them? young. As soon as you hear this podcast, think to yourself, I better start taking care of myself. <laughs> because <laughs> it, it's, you have to have all the pieces in play. It's your hormones we're talking about. Remember, your brain is constantly scanning to see if you're healthy and safe. And so it is literally... Um, setting boundaries in your life, saying no, doing things, you know, that bring you joy and that make you happy, trying to get as much sleep as you can, recognizing your alcohol intake and maybe adjusting that, looking at your diet. Have you, have you been snacking a lot more? Have you been relying on sugar a lot more? Have you been eating, you know, out a lot more out of convenience and, and really sort of like, wow, I'm sort of gotten away from the everyday lifestyle habits I know that are good for me and I'm, and I'm not really doing them anymore. Working on stress, we're, you know, starting incorporating breathing exercises, which are free, cheap, and easy. Start using light therapy, meaning when you get up in the morning, open up your door, open up your window and look at the sky. Get, I mean, don't blind yourself with the sun, but enjoy the natural light. And if it's not light out, uh, like you and I live in the Pacific Northwest, it's not always light out in the morning. Then consider buying a full spectrum light box, like, like a happy light and turn it on for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning to set you up for success, set your cortisol up for success, set that your, your brain signaling, the clock genes up for success. And then at night, you know, be careful of phones, screens, TVs, scary TV shows, documentaries about serial killers. Like, come on now. And then you can't sleep and you wonder why. So working on sleeping in darkness, having a wind down routine, not wine with an E, but wind with a D. Uh, and those sort of things to nurture yourself as you go into perimenopause. And then get yourself a really good practitioner who understands hormones and can test you and see where you're at and help you with your stress response and help you with progesterone and help you with testosterone and help you figure out your estrogen detoxification because it's all shifting. You can't stop it from happening. But like I said, by working with somebody who can really meet you where you're at, we can 
glide as opposed to slam into menopause. Oh, I just love all of that advice. (laughs) And so before we close today, the only other piece I wanted to kind of ask you about, and a a few of my listeners wanted it as well, is how can they help their libido during this time? Is there anything, are those all things, all the things you just said, those will will play a part? Is there any uh, specific to their libido? Yeah. So first I ask a couple questions. One um, with libido, like who is it bothering? Is it bothering you? Is it bothering your partner? Because that can give me some insight into the relationship. So if you're like, look, my libido's not bad, but it's really, my partner's is much, much higher. And that's what I'm fighting against. Like that may require extra counseling. So you can, you can work and and maybe try to get more on the same page. But if it's really bothering you, okay. The next thing are things like, is, is sex painful? You know, if it's painful, then we have to work on that. Because of course you don't like sex if every time you're, you're dry or there's, there's, there's pain involved. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. things like, can you orgasm? Like, did you used to be able to orgasm? Like, what's going on with your orgasms? Let's work on that. Um, how long does it take you to get in the mood? So there are women who say, you know, I'm not in the mood. I don't initiate. But once initiated, I'm pretty good. And then there are other women who say, not only do I not initiate, but I'm not interested at all. Like, in the, I'm just doing it because I feel like I'm supposed to. So we do, you know, let's work on that. And then the last question is, do you even like your significant other? And if you say not really, like that, then that maybe does require wine. You know, like that does, that is going to require something more than uh, integrative or functional medicine. But if well, so many women are like, yes, yes, I I love my significant other and I'm attracted to them. It's just what's going on with my libido. So then the last thing I highly recommend it's a book. It's a book. It's called Come As You Are. Come As You Are, and it's by uh, Emily Nagoski. Emily Nagoski. And she writes about how we have a fight or flight and a rest and digest system in our stress response. And we have the same thing in our sexual response. And it helps walk women through the fact that we have an accelerator part of us and a break part of us. And so figuring out what presses on your break so that you don't, you're not in the mood. And let's try to ease that up. And then what helps push on the accelerator so we can do more of those things? It's definitely not as simple as here, take this herb or here, take this vitamin. And while testosterone is wonderful and low testosterone can absolutely decrease a libido, I have had plenty of women say, well, I'm on testosterone and I still have a very low libido. What could that be? And other hormones are at play when it comes to libido, serotonin, dopamine, DHEA, cortisol, progesterone. And so by looking at you as a whole and your whole hormone system, putting all those puzzle pieces together can really help you get into a better space around uh, sex and interest in sex. Oh, I think that's super helpful. And I will definitely check out that book. And I hope listeners do too. So Before I ask you kind of our final question today, (laughs) I know you've given so much advice, but we always like to end this interview on this podcast with what is kind of your bold advice for the listeners today? And it could be regarding health and hormones, but it doesn't have to be. (laughs) What is your bold advice you want to share? So my favorite saying that I heard um, by a woman named, I believe her name is Christy Sheldon. She was talking about emotions, like the funnel of emotions. And if you think of anger uh, and jealousy at the bottom, 
of this funnel. And as you go up the funnel, it's like, it's, it's joy, it's laughter, right? It's love, it's things like that. And so she says, healing happens at the vibration of joy. Healing happens at joy. And so I thought that just really struck me because there are so many people who, women who don't have a lot of joy in their life, or they're maybe missing out on the joy, or they're not recognizing the joy that they have. And so I try to encourage everyone to find the little joyful moments in their day, even if it's just the funny meme that your sister sent you or your best friend sent you, if it's something hilarious your your kid did, if it's petting your dog, I, I often say that, pet a dog, just you know, make sure it's a nice dog and you're not allergic because joy helps put you into that rest and digest, reduce stress state. So find the little bits of joy. I'm not you don't I'm not saying you have to, you know, have grand joyful moments, although those are wonderful, but it's the little things that add up all day long. So s- seek joy, look for joy and that will that's where the healing starts. Oh, I love that so much. In fact, I have a sign which my brother always makes fun of those signs that people have like the <laughs> yeah. saying signs. He's like, "Oh, he rolls his eyes at me." But I do have a sign that's at my desk that says, "Today I choose joy." And I yes. think you can kind of choose to not find it or you can choose to look for it. And some days you have to look a little harder Mm -hmm. than others, but I love that advice so much. So Dr. Carey, if people want to find you, what is the best way to do that? I hang out on Instagram. (laughs) So I am at dr.carryjones and I have Lots and lots and lots of hormone education. As you know, that's that's the platform I speak about. I talk about estrogen and progesterone and testosterone and cortisol and, and estrogen detoxification. And I talk everywhere from the cycling woman to PCOS to endometriosis to the perimenopausal menopausal woman over and over again. So that's that's where I like to hang out. And Dr. Carey, if someone wanted to dive in deeper on getting tested on some of these hormones we've talked about is the best way to ask their provider about it. And what would you recommend? So definitely you can start with your provider. Not all providers, of course, are going to be interested or open or maybe hormones are not their specialty, just like plantar fasciitis and children are not mine. So (laughs) you can, right. You can, you can definitely go to, there's a website. um, It's the lab that I work for. It's dutchtest.com. And there is a find a provider link. And so the reason reason I direct to that link is because everyone on that link is familiar with and does hormone testing. So let's say you love your primary care, but your primary care says, you know, I'm a primary care. I don't have, I don't do, I don't have time to go through hormones. Totally fine. You're just going to add an extra person to your healthcare team and you're going to find somebody who does do hormones and, um, understands it. So go to the dutchtest.com, go to find a provider and find a provider in your area who does telemedicine that uh, can help guide you through hormonal stuff. Oh, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. And similar to almost everyone who gets to interview you, Dr. Carey, I feel like we could keep going and going, (laughs) but I know I need to let let you have a productive day. But thank you for your time today. I learned so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me on. I just love talking about this. I love that you're just as passionate as I am. It makes it so much fun. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. 
the world needs you.